where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Good morning, dear friends. My name is Ron Wunsch. I am a retired UCC minister and have served as the pastor of several UCC churches. Within my almost 47 years of ordained ministry, I served more than 22 years as an active duty chaplain in the United States Army. Among my 15 different assignments in the United States and overseas, for 19 months, from May 1998 to November 1999, I was the senior army chaplain at Arlington National Cemetery. I performed the funerals in support of the Old Guard, also known as the 3rd Infantry Regiment. It's stationed at Fort Myer, Virginia, which is adjacent to the cemetery. These are the soldiers who 24 hours a day 365 days a year, guard the tomb of the unknown soldier. The uniform I'm wearing today was issued to me by the uh, supply department of the regiment. During this ministry, I conducted almost 800 military funerals for soldiers or their family members. The funerals at the cemetery are scheduled to begin at 9, 10, and 11 in the morning and at 1, 2, and 3 in the afternoon. Most days, I conducted three or four funerals. Sometimes I did five and occasionally six. More than 99% of the burials were for persons I never knew. Given the family's desires, sometimes it was a full funeral service with a chapel service and a graveside committal service, though most of the time it was a graveside service. And almost always there was some form of military honors, including walking from one location in the cemetery to another, the firing of three rifle volleys, the playing of taps, and the presentation of the flag by the chaplain to the family. In this role, I had certain ceremonial duties to fulfill as a military officer, and at the same time, certain pastoral responsibilities to the families entrusted to me as a Christian minister. The pastoral challenge was given the need to conduct so many funerals a day by a strict timetable for persons I did not know, how, how could I fashion a funeral service or graveside service that was personal and caring, honoring the one who is deceased, while at the same time, even more importantly, praising and glorifying God? 
In the Gospel of John, chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus speaks words of farewell to the disciples and gives them final instructions for their ministry in his absence. Then, in chapter 17, our scripture for today, Jesus' focus changes decisively. He prays directly to God. In the Greek text, Jesus addresses God six times as Father, using the vocative case, which is the case of direct discourse and personal conversation. As readers, we are invited to listen in on a very personal and intimate conversation between Jesus and God, in which Jesus emphasizes the unity between God, Jesus, and the believing community. This is a very detailed and multi-layered conversation. And in this brief moment, I will only be able to peel away just a small but very important sliver of this prayer. Jesus prays, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. The hour of which he speaks is Jesus' impending crucifixion. By his death, Jesus will demonstrate that there is no limit to God's great love for us and that God will go to death and beyond to redeem humankind. Just a moment later in this prayer, Jesus entrusts his disciples to God with these words. They have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf, because they are yours. By extension, Jesus entrusts us, the members of the believing community, to God's eternal care and keeping also. So, how did I provide personable, relatable ministry to the soldiers and family members entrusted to my care, even for a few brief moments? About 15 minutes before the start of the service, I met with the family in a private room in the administrative building of the cemetery. There I asked them several questions, and this was a rather challenging experience for me because I am completely and totally stone deaf in the left ear. First, after I introduced myself and offered my condolences, I asked, what did your husband or wife, son or daughter, do in the military? Where were they stationed? Were they in combat? What awards may they have earned? Second, what would you like me to call your loved one? Sometimes a person had a special nickname that the family preferred. Third, what did they do after leaving 
the military. Fourth, please tell me about your loved one's religious life. The answer to this question helped me to choose the appropriate scripture readings. Fifth, what were their hobbies or interests? And finally, if you were going to characterize your loved one with two or three phrases or two or three words, uh, what come to mind? Then as I was sitting in the staff car, being driven to the gravesite, which maybe took five minutes at most, I jotted down as many of the particulars of these answers as I could remember, or that I could fit on a large sticky note, which I inserted in my funeral book. Then, at the appropriate time in the committal service, I would weave together these answers of these particulars from the people's personal life stories. And then I would mix these with various scripture readings, such as Psalm 23 or Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which says, For everything there is a season, a time to be born, and a time to die. Or Psalm 121, which says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where will my help come? John 11, in which Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Romans 8, in which the Apostle Paul declares, nothing can separate us from the love of God, and other passages as well. Every service involved either the placement of a casket for burial or an urn in a niche in a, the columbarium, followed by words of committal entrusting the person to the care of Almighty God. So in conclusion, I now pray the prayer of committal that I used at Arlington National Cemetery. Merciful God, support us all the day long of this life full of trouble until the shadows lengthen and the evening comes and the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Then, in your tender mercy, grant us a safe lodging and a holy rest and peace at the last through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It's not clear when this practice began, but several decades ago, the invitation to look at the ministry of Jesus through the lens of three components was brought to my attention. Jesus as prophet, poet, and pastor. And these components were also translated toward ministry in general. So ministers were invited to recognize that Ministry is multidimensional. Are you prophet? Are you poet? Are you pastor in this moment? And I'd like to add one more to those three, which is partner. The prayer that is our scripture today from the 17th chapter of John demonstrates Jesus' partnership with God. 
But even more so, it reveals Jesus' pastoral care and his heart. Pastoral care as an intimate relationship. Pastoral care allows for deep connection and reliance. In the words of Jesus from other Gospels, Come unto me, all you that labor and are weary, and I will give you rest. The kind of allow, uh, reliance that allows for students or friends to wake you in the middle of a storm because they're afraid they're going to perish, like the storm at sea. Pastoral care also points to something beyond itself. It reveals the majesty and the splendor of God through words and actions. Now, this 17th chapter, these verses in John are very rich and dense. It's like a flourless chocolate cake. You can't take big bites of this. And so I'm just going to add three more bites to what Ron has already shared with us. Here's the first one. Jesus said, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. In other words, I've done my part. I've done what you've asked. I've revealed your majesty and your splendor in my works and in my teachings. The second bite is, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me. They were yours, and you gave them to me. This is the concept of entrusting. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have taken seriously those who have been entrusted to my care. And finally, the third bite, which is the most tender. Jesus says, protect them so that they may be one as we are one. In other words, may the unity of the beloved community be strong and steadfast. It's just a few verses later that Jesus says, this prayer of unity is not just for his current students and disciples, but it's for all future generations as well. And that's us. Protect them so that they may be one as we are one. Pastoral care in the heart of Jesus includes all generations of students and believers, that all may be one. And this is not a statement of Christian supremacy. This is a statement of what it means to be a community of faith. The unity of the beloved community is a prayer that the community may be a sanctuary for those entrusted to our care. What that sounds like in practice is you and your story, you and your family, you and your grief are safe here. One of the things that has developed since the beginning of the pandemic we're living through is that parades and processions have been popping up all over the place. 
not just for graduates, but for birthday parties and for other celebrations where people are not able to gather in person. An opportunity to say thank you or have a great summer. Living in Old Town has been a real gift because you don't actually have to read the paper to know what's going on. You can just start to hear the noise and people gathering. <clears throat> At least that's how it used to be when we would gather for festivals and for concerts and for parades. But now these new parades are coming into being and it was just Thursday that I walked out of the house and all of a sudden there was one of these parades taking place. It was near Central Elementary School. And it was the best example that I could ever have been led to of this scripture coming to life, where the relationship between teacher and student and the connection of not just teacher and student, but teacher and community all converged. I was so moved by what I experienced that I actually took pictures. And I have a slideshow to show you right now, just a few snippets of, of what was part of this parade. I love how those pictures represent the prayer that was offered that day. A prayer that said, thank you. The prayer that encouraged teachers by saying you rock. The prayer of teachers that held up the balloons, class of 2020, as these elementary school students are now heading, some of them, to middle school. I love the creativity of not just cars and crip paper and balloons and costumes, but a golf cart and the Amsterdam-like bicycles. That's the beauty of the community here in Longmont. And I know that those kinds of parades and processions took place in other towns and at other schools. Do you see how tender that relationship is of teacher and student? Teachers are so aware that students are entrusted to their care. I've also heard parents express this about the children that are entrusted to their care. Not just those who are um, born through pregnancy, but those who come to them through adoption as well. Other families consider animals having been entrusted to their care as they welcome these animals into their lives. A key component of entrusting is that people and pets and resources are not possessions. They are gifts that are given for our care. Even for a few brief moments, as was demonstrated in the ministry that Ron shared. Those 15 minutes that he spent with family members and the time spent at graveside are a perfect example of entrusting in a way that church does in a time of great grief. 
Consider the early settlers of this land, the farmers who are aware of what was entrusted to their care and the resources. It gets tricky when resources also provide nourishment and necessary items for daily life, like fire for cooking or food, shelter, clothing, transportation. That's why the biblical practice of Sabbath, of Jubilee, of relieving debt and letting the land lie fallow are so important and so integral to Scripture. Not possessions, gifts entrusted to our care. How might our lives be different if we considered each person and each resource as being entrusted to our care? Even what appears to be a chance encounter that can last for only a few moments. How might our lives be different if our relationship to people and resources was a way to reveal the majesty and splendor of God to others? In other words, the goodness that we offer, the care, the grace, the compassion that we offer, the celebration that we offer doesn't just point to us, but it points beyond us to the bigger picture of a God who created us and holds each and every one of us. The heart of Jesus and the heart of the beloved community allows for deep connection and points beyond itself at all times. It's okay to love your teacher. But any good teacher will also want you to love creativity and to exercise your imagination and to think broadly and expansively. So the love just doesn't stop with the person. It stops to what is much bigger than both of them. We point beyond ourselves in our words and our actions when as a community we say, you and your family, yes, your family, you and your story, you and your grief are safe here. You and your curiosity, you and your imagination, you and your dreams are safe here. We have been entrusted to each other's care, some for many years, and some for only the briefest of moments. In living this practice of entrusting, in taking it very seriously, the glory and honor of God's name and presence becomes real. Because in the end, people remember the love. Whether it came through as patience or care, encouragement or consistency, accessibility or presence, 
people remember the love. And where love is, God is. We're going to sing again this time, and we're going to prepare ourselves for a time of prayer and for a time of taking our own moment to nourish and nurture the intimate relationship that we each share with God.